They're heading to the exits here in Ohio, and a puck that comes in along the near side, and that is going to do it. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, Columbus. Both check away, and now the counter. Here come the Caps. Kuznetsov gets loose. It's getting coming out of the middle. A shot, and it comes in over. He scores! He scores! It's getting Kuznetsov wins it for Washington! It's off to the third round! The Demons have been exercised! Eagle winning the draw. Back out to center. And that is going to do it! Good morning! Good afternoon! And good night, Tampa Bay! Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. I am your host, Adam Stringham, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer at ESPN and the co-host of the Puck Soup Podcast. How you doing, Greg? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm pretty pretty excited heading into uh, a game the Capitals could potentially claim the Stanley Cup, and, and, I, and I know that you've spent so much time uh, covering the Capitals before you kind of moved on to covering this whole league. Uh, I mean, you were always kind of doing both, but... Uh, you know, what makes this team different? I mean, would you have come in and expected this to be the Capitals team to make it to the Stanley Cup final? No, not at all. I don't think any of us did. A lot of us thought that, uh, you know, with what Brian McClellan said after last season, which is that, you know, they had a three-year build and uh, they took their best shot and they fell short. And, you know, when you bring in a Justin Williams to be Mr. Game 7 and he doesn't score in a Game 7, when you bring in Kevin Shattenkirk to, uh, to be the last piece of a puzzle at the trade deadline and you know, he underperforms in the playoffs. It just seems like, you, you, you know, you swung for the fences and, and maybe you hit a, a double instead of the homer. Um, so, you know, they were off the radar for a lot of us this season, which obviously, as we all know, know now, was maybe the key to their success is, is not having those vex- expectations placed on them to be able to just play hockey, have fun, and, you know, uh, uh, not have the burden of, of all those playoff failures weighing them down. What's kind of interesting is that the Capitals kind of had to go through kind of the demons of those uh, past playoff failures in this playoffs. You know, you had John Tortorella in the first round. You had uh, the Penguins, obviously, in the second round. And then a lot of those old Rangers players in the third round. Um, It's kind of been a bit of a redemption story for the Capitals. And and the Vegas story is obviously great. But uh, kind of what do you think about this kind of story for Ovi? And and how do you think it stacks up about that fantastic Vegas narrative? (laughs) Well, you know, the, the Vegas narrative, I think, is always going to be a bit stronger story. Uh, you know, it's an expansion team doing what they've done is unprecedented. And, and the link between that team and the city uh, with their, uh, you know, playing their first game only a few days after the shooting and having, you know, first responders and victims families be a part of the uh, team experience for throughout the year, I think kind of makes this a extraordinary story in a lot of ways. Um but that's not to shortchange the Ovechkin narrative because, uh, you know, what he, I think a lot of us thought it was going to go a couple of ways for him. You know, he was either going to be one of these guys like a Dan Marino that plays his entire career, puts up ungodly numbers, but ever wins a championship. Or he could have been one of these guys that, you know, took the Ray Bork angle and uh, eventually won a championship somewhere other than Washington. Um, but I don't think a lot of us really believed that it was ever going to happen for him in D.C. just mm-hmm. because... They had so many opportunities, and, and it just didn't work. So to have it happen potentially in D.C., um, and to have Ovechkin be such a, a driving force behind that, I think is, is really one of the more satisfying stories in, in recent NHL memory. I mean, it's not as if he is a passenger in this situation. I mean, I think he's 
as of right now, the odds on favor to win the con Smythe if they win the cup in five. Um, and you ask anybody in that locker room, and they're going to tell you that his contributions offensively, you know, in, in helping to create goal, game winning goals and in, in, you know, every series, uh, and also just the just sheer will with, with, with which he plays, uh, not only his defensive commitment, but also just the joy he has in celebrating their accomplishments is something that permeates the room and has really been a uh, driving force for them. Now, I was going to kind of wait to talk too much about the Smythe till later, but, um, you know, it, Kuznetsov's play maybe has been good enough to deserve it, but but do you think I mean, that Ovi will get it, like, simply because of the storylines? If the Caps win, <laughs> let, let's, like, heavily caveat, uh, caveat that, because, you know, you, you know Washington sports fans. <laughs> I asked Kuznetsov today about about that. If, uh, you know, he, he, the, other, the other night he said that, the Smythe doesn't really mean anything, you know, in comparison to the grand scheme. So I said, if it doesn't mean anything, do you, would you give your vote to Ovechkin? To which he then bestowed upon me the honor that he's bestowed upon many people, which is calling it a stupid question. <laughs> and, and and then he uh, he went on to answer it and said, you know, in his mind, without putting himself over, because because Netsoff rarely does, um, he would he would look to Ovi, but he would also look to Braden Holtby. And, and I think you know. In, in the in the the triple threat match that is the Con Smythe right now, I would if I if I had to vote, I'd cast it for Ovechkin. I, I just think that overall his his play has been a, a a driving force for this team. And I gotta go, like I said, with what his teammates tell me, which is how much how important they feel he's been to this run. Um, I, I would probably put Kuznetsov second. At the end of the day, his point total is gonna end up being the second most in twenty years. Uh, eclipsed only by Malkins, and, uh, uh, and Malkin won the Consmite that year. Um, and then you can't discount what Holtby's been able to do. Now, I, as you know, was an advocate for starting him at the beginning of the playoffs. I, <laughs> I, I did not buy the idea that his regular season play was somehow going to prevent him from being the postseason goaltender he's been. Uh, I, I'm sure revisionist history will say, well, he needed to sit for two games to get him his head right. I'm like, his head right, would have been right anyway. I think he's an outstanding playoff goalie. And he's just gotten stronger as they've gone on. I mean, the last, you, you throw out the anomaly of game one in the series, and, and his, he's been, you know, north of 950 for the five wins that he's had outside of game one. So, I mean, he's, he's been everything you've wanted and more. I think he finally did in the Tampa series what Caps fans have been hoping to see from him for years, which is to win a series on his own. Um, so it's close, uh, you know, between... Because that's off and Holtby for that second spot, but I still think that Ovechkin, at the end of the day, would get my vote. You know, another guy that's kind of um, he, he's been competing, but but in a different way is Barry Trotz. Obviously, he doesn't have a contract still, and uh, the Capitals kind of made him a bit of a lame duck, especially when they promoted uh, Todd Reardon to be associate coach. Um, what do you kind of think that that Trotz's status is now? I mean, I, I don't know how the Capitals could not bring him back unless he's dead set on leaving. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, like, I find it to be really interesting because, you know, we haven't had a coach win a cup and leave uh, since Mike Keenan in 94. And, you know, that was <laughs> very, very different circumstances than here with Barry Trotz. I think if the Capitals end up winning the cup, it almost adds another level of complication to the situation in the sense that, you know, when you start thinking about why he would come back. I mean, most times a coach comes back because he's got unfinished business, but the business has been finished. <laughs> you know, like, like if you come back and you're Barry Trotz and you've won the cup already, you know, what are you coming back for? I think people see this season as being remarkable, but perhaps a bit of an anomaly 
uh, with conditions that are going to be hard to repeat. Um, so why would you come back other than maybe you love the area, you love the, the, the team, um, and, and you're happy to spend a few more years here making a lot of money based on your accomplishments? I, I'm, I'm not quite sure if there's a compelling reason to come back if they win. I'm not sure there's a compelling reason to come back if they fall just short. Um, because maybe, you know, you've, you've spent your time and this is your best shot. So either way, I, I, I know that it defies logic to think that a guy wins the cup and then won't come back. But I tend to believe that there's a lot, a lot of reasons there that, that maybe Barry Trotz, you know, goes and, and tries his hand somewhere else or retires or, or, or what have you, uh, you know, and, and then the team is turned over to Ty Reardon. Now, I guess I gotta ask this too. I mean, do you think that the series is over? And, and like, how much of an effect do you? No, I really just gotta know, Greg, because as a Washington fan, like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still a little worried. And I know I'll get a little clenchy if they lose on Thursday night. <laughs> so, I mean, let me know what your take is on how on how the series is gonna go. Well, I mean, clenchy is the right word for it because <laughs> I think one of the one of the real reasons that this series has gone the way it has is that. There's been absolutely no moment, even after game one, where the Capitals had any fear in them. You know, the, the Golden Knights in previous rounds had uh, taken series leads of, of significant, uh, uh, you know, numbers. Uh, they have, uh, you know, in, in 10 of their previous 15 playoff games before the final, they uh, had a lead going into the third period. I mean, there was a lot of, of, uh, of things that they were able to do through their play that, that really kind of put fear and doubt in their opponents. And it just hasn't happened at all in this series. So a, a win in game five maybe gets you a little bit closer to what they need to do, which is to start having the Capitals really kind of think about and overthink, you know, the, the, the series a little bit and, and start to wonder, you know, about the pressures of it because it's been far too easy so far. That said, the, you know, when, when 31 consecutive teams that have taken a 3-1 lead have gone on to win the Cup, it's really hard hard to believe that it's not an, an inevitability, which is why, you know, at Media Day today, you're talking about Icon Smythe, and you're talking about yeah. meeting Trump and all these other things. And, like, you know, the, there's that sense of, of, of coronation almost, which I know is a bad feeling to have. But based on the numbers and based on the play, it's hard not to feel that way. And the other thing about it, too, is that, you know, there's a lot of weirdness about this Capitals team and, mm. and the fact that they've been very untypical compared to, you know, what they've done in the past. And one of the more untypical things about them is that they've been assassins. They've closed out series in a way that they've never had before as a franchise. And it's hard to ignore the fact that when given the chance to eliminate the Blue Jackets, they did. When given the chance to eliminate the Penguins, they did. Avoiding a game seven that, you know, every Caps fan knows they have to avoid <laughs> playing the Penguins. And then, and then, you know, in a, in a game seven situation with Tampa, yeah, a winner go, go home situation, they they beat them as well. And and so I think there's something to be said for the efficiency of, of their playoff run so far, and 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 realizing the moment, and and you know, learn. I, I talked to Jay Beagle about this today, learning the lesson from the Tampa Bay series, which was a team that certainly let the Caps off the mat in Game Six, mm-hmm. only to lose in a Game Seven, and and understanding that they simply can't do the same thing. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, with, with the Capitals being so much better at closing things out, um, you know, you've been around this team for other years. I mean, obviously in the recent past, the Capitals haven't had the 3-1 leads that were so commonplace under the Boudreaux-era Capitals, and they could just never hold on to them, right? 
So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of like the last demon to slay for this team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, we talked about Flurry and all the other things before, and, and obviously Flurry could still be a big factor. He was great in Game 7 last year for the Penguins against the Caps. But um, all, all that stuff being said, are you sensing anything different in the room? I mean, they, they did a good job with the lip service in the past, too, and it hasn't always paid out. But is the demeanor any different? Oh, totally. It's it's very businesslike. There's not a, a shred of, of concern or doubt in the room. Um, I, you know, they they've said in the past that they've turned the page on previous playoff disappointments, and and you didn't really believe it, <laughs> you know. But like when when TJ Oshi talks about them writing their, a new story and talks about how the the you know pain the head the heartaches of the past have scarred over. You kind of believe it. You kind of believe that as as a team that they've been able to turn the page and really believe that this is different. And I think it all tracks back to the Pittsburgh series. You know, once you overcome an obstacle that as a franchise you've only overcome once in your history, it really does change your perspective on things. It really does make you believe that this is an unprecedented run for this team. And it it really put some wind in their sails and, and made them believe in ways that I don't think that they have before. Um, and you can't you can't discount that. You can't discount the fact that there is a a metal and a and a, and a uh, uh, fortitude to this team that I think has been remarkably different than than in years past. Now, now the main guy, and I know you've talked about this before, so this is probably a question you've been asked way too many times. But uh, Ovi himself, right? There's the like the, the people that, that watch the Capitals a lot say, no, o- Ovi's pretty much always been really good. It's just this time yeah. the supporting cast is picking him up. And then there's kind of the, the guys who like to parachute in with the, well, no, he's completely different this time. You know, Barry Trotz went and talked to him in Russia. And, and maybe that did have an impact. Uh, you know, I, I don't know Ovi personally at all. So, but what do you think there's anything really different about Ovechkin or is this really all about the supporting cast? Yeah, I, I, uh, I you know, you're right. I mean, we, we debated this on ESPN just the other day, whether it's the perceptions that have changed or whether it's Ovechkin's game that's changed. And, you know, I, it may be a little bit of both at the end of the day. Um, there, there is something to be said about the fact that, you know, Trotz talked about going and challenging him and getting him to bounce back from what was a down year. And, you know, the other players have talked about his total commitment to defense and total commitment to every facet of the game. So, you know, it's not to say that that he hasn't improved. I think every player on this roster has improved in some way, shape, or form during this playoff run. But, but like you said, I mean, he's always been good. He's always been good in the postseason as far as offensive output. It's, he's never been the, the reason they've lost. He's never been a liability. Um, you know, there's been a, a, one season where he didn't perform. There's been a couple game sevens where he didn't perform. But overall, it's not been his fault. And if there's been one material change to Ovechkin in this, in this uh, playoff run, it's like I said before, it's the impactful moments. It's, it's scoring a goal when the team needed a goal. It's, it's having a hand in game-winning goals versus having a hand in the goal that made it, you know, 4-2 to two on the negative side of things. He's, he's really become adept at, at, at the big moments, and none were bigger than scoring the first goal in Game 7 on the road against Tampa. I mean, statistically, 75% of teams <laughs> that score first in a Game 7 win Game 7. So getting the first goal was essential. Tampa was already on the ropes. And it's that kind of moment that I don't think we saw from Alex before. And it's not to say that he like, oh, he's trying more or whatever. It's just to say that for whatever reason, uh, the chips are falling in places that they haven't fallen before for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I know you've tweeted about this during the playoffs and it, it, it shocks me that a guy that scored as many goals as Ovi has both in the regular season and in the playoffs has never yeah. scored an overtime game winning goal. 
right? It's exactly, exactly. And, and, and so if there was ever a criticism of him that I gave at least uh, side eye to, it was the idea that he wasn't there for big moments. And, and I think his game seven scoring, for example, in the past is part of that too. Mm-hmm. But like, that's just, you know, that's just pumpkin luck. That's just, you know, you never know when, when you're going to get one and when you're not going to get one. And it's not for lack of trying. It's not for lack of, of execution uh, in most cases. And it just turns out that this time it, it's just been, you know, more impactful when he's, this, when he's been able to score. Yeah, I believe it was, what was it, game three against Pittsburgh when he scored with about a minute left? Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that, that was a big deal goal. He had a hand in three game-winning goals against the Penguins. And, like, when you, when you talk about the importance of that series and how vital it was and how unexpected it was to have your captain – you know, do that, I think is just more indication that this has just been a, a special playoff run for him. Yeah, it really has. And I think um, a lot of the people that are, you know, nationally rooting for the Capitals are, are doing it for Ovechkin. Uh, or, <laughs> or they, you know, they want, they want to see Ovi win. You know, he, he's been a great personality, great trooper. Nobody outside of Washington wants to see the Capitals win. You know that. <laughs> I mean, nobody from the Patrick division wants the Capitals to win. You got people around the league that don't like the Capitals that don't like Capitals fans. You know, it's 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 obvious that the Capitals are not a darling team. <laughs> but there are definitely people on the team and around the team, be it Ovechkin or Backstrom or, or Barry Trotz or whoever, that clearly people have an affinity for and would like to see win. I mean, I mean if you did a, a national poll of hockey fans and said, you know, if there was a way for Ovechkin to win the Cup without the Capitals winning the Cup, would you would you appreciate that? I'm sure if you like... 90% of people would say yes. <laughs> you know, I don't know, but because a lot of people, especially in markets that have, you know, gone a long time without a cup, seem kind of bitter that Vegas is so close. It's it's kind of like the they don't know suffering. It's oh. not about the team. It's about the fan okay. base, you know? Fair, fair, I mean, I was just saying the Capitals in oh, a no. vacuum. I mean, if you're, if you're talking, if you bring in Vegas into the equation, <laughs> you might see a different a different approach because you're right. I think there, there are a lot of people that, you know, don't like the idea of this expansion team doing what they're doing. You have this contingent of expansion draft truthers that, uh, you know, believe <laughs> that the thing was rigged for them and, and all that stuff. Um, I'm not one of them. Like, I think, I think what they've done and what George McPhee did was remarkable and yeah. taking what was given to them in the draft and then leveraging other teams into doing stupid things. And they deserve every bit of success that they've gotten. But, uh, but you're right. If, 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 if you bring Vegas into the equation, you might see an uptick in people that are rooting for the Capitals just so the, the Knights don't win in year one. Yeah, pre, pre, I think a lot of people are rooting for the Capitals, uh, are rooting for the players, like you said, but not Tom Wilson. You know, he, he's a guy that... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I that, was one of, that was one of my favorite quotes of the postseason I got from Wilson was when I was asking him about, you know, seeing the Ovechkin gifts, celebration gifts, and whether he's appreciated them. He's like, look, man... I've stayed off of social media since like the first round of the playoffs. Like, <laughs> the, mo- the moment, the moment when I realized like all of hockey wanted my head on a platter, uh, I-, I just stopped paying attention. So, I mean, and, it- and it's completely understandable because, like you said, he's is not a lot of love lost for uh, for Tom Wilson in these playoffs. All right, Greg, I- I've only got like one more question for you here. Um, you know, and-, and it's got nothing to do with hockey. I, I got to know what-, what your favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe movie is. For <laughs> It's a constantly changing top top five, um, mainly because you know Black Panther was so good that I think that it really shook up the order a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, my favorite my favorite uh, MCU movie from a, a a movie perspective of a cinematic perspective was was uh, the Winter Soldier. I just thought it was you know 
know, every every movie had you know up to a certain point had its own sort of like subgenre that it was aping, and you know there was heist movies and and uh, war movies and and everything else, and 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 you know the Winter Soldier kind of tapped into that 1970s paranoia, the French Connection, Three Days of the Condor type of thing, and did it really really well, and and the whole Bucky Cap dynamic was compelling. Um, really well acted, surprising. It surprised you the movie. Uh, I just, I just thought it from a, from a, you know, success standpoint, it was the closest thing to a real top to bottom great flick that they've made. Um, from an entertainment standpoint, I think the only thing that trumps Black Panther was uh, uh, was the original Avengers movie, which I still think is sort of this generation's Star Wars Episode Four in in the sense that it just complete like. If you get rid of the first 10 minutes of it, which were crap, <laughs> you know, there's no reason to ever revisit it. Um, it's just it's just perfect. It's perfect in the way that it, it, it links the characters. It's perfect in the way that it, it orchestrates the action. And as, as has been, you know, there's a great article, I forget where I read it, that kind of breaks down um, how, it might have been on, on Flickster or something, breaks down how the Battle of New York was conceived and executed. It's, it, to think about all the other action set pieces that we've seen from that series of films, that movie just nailed the geography, the character moments. Every single thing about the finale of that movie is is absolutely perfect. And like, um, it's a it's a flick that I'll catch every time that it's on, just because I think it's just so well crafted and successful. Yeah, I, I've got to agree. I'm I'm a big Winter Soldier guy myself. Uh, I might have to get you back on to debate with uh, Corey Massasak and John Press because they don't give Winter Soldier the love it deserves. So, yeah, uh, I don't quite understand that. I mean, those two guys are old DC hands, so. It, Especially JP. JP probably doesn't like it because he has to live that the, the life of intrigue every day, being a guy who works, you know, around DC. But uh, for for those of us who are outside, we can appreciate it. Definitely, Greg. Thank you so much for your time. I I really appreciate it. You got it, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Definitely. On behalf of myself and Greg Wyshynski, thank you for listening to this episode of Japers Rink Radio.